Hello and welcome to Royals Review Radio, hosted by me, Jacob Milham. If you prefer to read your Kansas City Royals news and analysis, please visit RoyalsReview.com and you can check out Royals Review on Twitter and on Facebook. And while you're over on Facebook, please join the Royals fan Facebook group in this podcast description because Royals Review will be in there live February 23rd, getting you ready ahead of spring training. But let's get on with the show. I got Jeremy Greco and I got Greg Walker with me tonight. Jeremy, how you doing tonight? I I don't have anything snarky to say right now, so <gasps> I'm good. Jeremy is speechless for once. Well, Greg, can you uh, can you follow up speechless? Is there anything there? Uh, no, I can't exactly do speechless. Oh I just gosh. enjoy the sound of my own voice too much. So <laughs> it's good to be here. It's a rainy evening out here in Kansas City, which, you know what? I've never been much of a fan of rain. I like being outside, but you really? know what? That's just how it is. Man, there is. I don't know why, but I love starting the day off with rain, and then it kind of like clears up by the time I get out of work. You know what I mean? I enjoy my clothes not being wet. Fair. Fair that's, point. That's Jeremy, set, settle the debate. Rain in the morning or no rain at all? Um, I, I'm going to go with rain in the afternoon. Gosh, dang it, Jeremy. <laughs> I cool it off, it. especially in the Kansas city summers. Like, oh, geez, that is do it in the morning. And I feel like the humidity just spikes to unbearable levels. I mean, shoot. I mean, we, we, so we live in the, in the South. I feel like you're, you live in the South, South. And I live in like the, the faux South that yeah. is Virginia. The former um, South. Yeah. 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 That's for, that's probably a good way to put it. Um, it's, it just feels so humid. Like whenever you think about precipitation, it's just poof, glasses are fogged up. I can't leave the house. You know, I See, this am. Is, this is it. why I moved from Georgia to, to the mountains of North Carolina. I, the, the humidity is not nearly so bad up here. There you go. There you go. Greg, you can, you can keep that, uh, that four, that four seasons crap that you got out there in Kansas city. All right. We, we ain't worried about snow. We ain't worried about winter. You, you got that, man. It's all you. Four seasons <laughs> is a lie. Cause spring and autumn are about a week long each. <laughs> Still four. Still four. One, two, three, four. Now Ooh. one week does not count as a season. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. But Hey, while we're speaking about numbers, um, we're going to lead off the podcast tonight and we're going to talk about some zips projections. Now I know not everyone out there listening is a huge fan of like the advanced stats and projections like this, but it is a, I think it's a good gauge. It puts all of the teams kind of on the same level saying, okay, if, the season ended today. How would the numbers say they would end? Not saying the Royals shouldn't play the season, but uh, numbers are looking pretty bleak. Greg, why don't you tell us about those zips projections for the Royals? Yeah, so it's Dan Samborski over on Fangraphs is the creator of the zips projection system. And so he runs it every year. Throughout the offseason, he's been posting the zips projections for every team's roster. Those have all come out already. So we've gotten to see the individual projections for all the Royals players, which didn't exactly inspire a whole lot of confidence because we saw with the pitching outside of Brady Singer, Zips wasn't too high on any of them. And the hitters have a lot of work to do to actually improve. Like Vinny Pasquantino is probably like a slam dunk to be productive, but everybody else is like, yeah, we're going to need to see something happen. And now today, Dan Samborski has released the Zips projected standings for the American League. So looking at the team on a wholesale basis and remarkably enough, the Royals are projected to finish 70 and 92, which is 
the worst projected record in the entire American League. Just above them, Detroit is projected for 71 wins, and Oakland, who is in the depths of a rebuild, is projected for 72 wins. Uh, just quoting the article here, the Royals have basically fire-sailed a minimal one given the team's talent level coming off the 2023 season. There are interesting players such as Vinny Pasquantino to watch an offense, but I'm still not sure if the Royals really have a solid plan beyond hoping some of these young hitters work out very well and everything else just takes care of itself. So Zips isn't too optimistic on this team. Now, I might be willing to take the over on 70 wins, but I wouldn't go much higher than that. Yeah, I'd, I agree with that. Um, Jeremy, I honestly, we haven't talked a whole lot about like these advanced stats like this. Like, what do you think? Are you putting a whole lot of stock into this? Um, they're, they're interesting and they give you, I think they give you kind of some context for what to expect from the coming season. But I, I do think it's a little bit, uh, it would be a little silly to just go, Oh, well, 70 wins. That's what they're going to do. Um, and, and I don't even think, uh, Zimborski would, would say to take them that way. Um, but, uh, it definitely, it paints the picture that, yeah, uh, unless some drastic stuff happens, like some angels in the outfield or rookie of the year shenanigans, <laughs> uh, the Royals probably are not going to be very good in 2023. I, I don't, I don't know if a whole lot of folks are expecting them to be good, but I would hope, you know, not like last in the AL central. There's enough, there's enough kind of going on. You know, the tigers aren't doing too hot themselves either. And I will say this though, Greg, the number you didn't point out is he gave the Royals a 0.1% chance of winning the world series. Ooh. And so that is what I'm expecting. In so, that, so you're telling me there's a chance. There's a chance. There's a chance, Greg. It is not below zero. Like, I guess that's technically correct. Yeah. If you really wanted to get into the, the nitty gritty of statistics like that. Now, I do think it is worth pointing out in each of the past two seasons, the Royals have undershot that projection as oh. Zips had the Royals with the same projection last year, 70 and 92, albeit with worse playoff odds. And they, uh, as we all know, finished well below that 70 win mark. And in 2021, they're projected for 77 wins. And I believe they won 74 games that year. Yeah. And even in the short in 2020, they're projected for 26 wins and they hit that on the nose. So it's not like they've been outperforming the projections recently. So Zips might be onto something here. And that's a, that's a tough track record to talk about though. The one thing I find interesting, you said that they were predicted for the same number of wins, but had a lower playoff odds, right? In uh, 2022 versus 2023. Yeah, that's right. And I think that's mainly because the projections for the twins and the white Sox going into last year were considerably better than they are going into this year. I, uh, to me, that just speaks of less confidence. Uh, the model is less confident that the Royals will be that bad or that perhaps the other teams will be th that good. Um, you know, to, for the playoff odds to be a little bit higher. So, you know, they, they have to, the variance has to be there for the Royals to figure something out and sneak by some people. Yeah. I just think you're right about that, but just to my point. So this year, the guardians, twins and white Sox are projected to be top three in the division. They're projected for 83, 80 and 74 wins respectively, which Man, those are some pretty lousy projections. Oh, yeah. That's a weak that's, division, if that's true. Win the division with 83 wins? That'd be wild, wouldn't yeah, it? Go, 
going into last year, the projections were White Sox 88 wins, Twins 83, and Guardians 78. So it's just like Zips is much less optimistic about the White Sox now than they were last year and somewhat less for the Twins as well. It's just uh, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. The White Sox do less not... the Tigers, though. I think we can I think we can maybe know, get better right? than the Tigers. I agree. Anything's that. possible. I'm, you know, I'm still stuck on when the, the Tigers were the scary team in the AL Central in 2013, 2014. Yeah. I, I remember when Victor Martinez was a real threat at the dish oh, for gosh. sure. But the, the one gripe I would have with these projected standings is that Oakland is projected for 72 wins. And I'm not a betting man, but that is the easiest under of my entire life. Mm-hmm. The Oakland A's are going to lose 100 games next year. Oh, yeah, I, I fully agree with that. Um, hey, Greg, while, while you're looking at the whole American League, is there anyone else that's like standing out that is probably going to do much worse? I haven't had a chance to look at the full spread. Uh, the Angels are projected for 85 wins. Always Whoa. bet the under on the Angels because they <laughs> will probably be worse. So the projections expect them to. Uh, beyond that, I don't necessarily like projections are usually fairly conservative. So like Red Sox projected for 79. I could see them going under that. I could see the entire rest of the American League East going over their projected wins. <laughs> the Astros are projected for 90 wins. They're going to win more games than that. So I'll take yeah. the over on that one. For sure. For sure. I, we'll, I, I just the, the Astros have the most wins projected in the AL, right? That's right. Yeah. It's Astros so, at 90 and then the Yankees at 89, Toronto at 88. So that's another thing that I want to think about when I'm looking at these things is that we've got a spread of 70 to 90 there, basically. Yeah. And we know some team is going to lose more than 70 games, whether it's the Royal or win fewer than 70 games, whether it's the Royals or somebody else. And we know some team is going to win more than 90 games, whether it's the Astros or somebody else, probably multiple teams will win more than 90 games and multiple teams will lose more than 70 games. So the, the it's, it's giving you um, some scenarios. It's giving you an idea that shouldn't be taken literally. No. Just want to reemphasize that. Yeah, they're not. They're not gospel or anything. They do tend to be conservative. To your point, so right. they're very rarely ever going to project a team to win or lose a hundred games. All right. Well, uh, Greg, thanks for thanks for bringing that up. I honestly wasn't even tracking that those were um, released today and honestly after how bad the royal zips projections on an individual level were i uh i was like oh these are lousy these are wrong because <laughs> i didn't want to believe them they're, yeah. they're really bad I'm a, I'm a daily user of fan graphs so i got to admit as bad as the royal zips projections were i mean oakland and detroit's rosters look bleak like yeah. i do not like their futures right now I I will say for anyone wanting to do more research on baseball and baseball statistics, it it took me a while, but I eventually came around to Fangraphs, and I will say there's a lot more tools and a lot more resources on Fangraphs. So there, there's my unofficial endorsement for today's episode, I guess. And the only reason I like Baseball Reference better, like for any reason at all, is the fact that they have college stats on there. That's true. That's true, and they do have they have a more immersive minor league stat group i i and think japan oh yeah in japan forgot about that yeah it's very good for all the not mlb stuff what do you know yeah i they're both i find them both really good just you know for different things it's easier for me to find some things on bref it's easier for me to find other things on fan graphs so i'm glad that both exist that is very true that is very true well hey before we get on to the next segment let's go ahead and take an ad break and we are back on Royals Review Radio. Jake Milham here with Jeremy Greco and Greg Walker. Uh, now, Jeremy, you were you were banging the drum 
earlier on in our group chat about this <laughs> wonderful piece on Inside the Crown put out by the one and only David Lesky, um, one of one of my personal favorite Substack writers. Um, Jeremy, the article itself is called Young Pitching is on the Clock, but I do want to hear why did this article stand out to you? Um, so the, the, the biggest reason it stands out to me is because it reminds me of me. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, the, the earlier in the off season, I was very excited for the Matt Quattraro and Brian Sweeney hires and the way they were talking about how the, the team believes, uh, how they showed that the team believed and how the team was also kind of hinting at. Uh, that they're, they, they, they thought there was something to, uh, their, their pitchers that we weren't quite, they weren't being able to reach their ceilings and that they thought this was going to really help, uh, guys like Daniel Lynch and Chris Bubich to, uh, finally succeed, um, where Cal Eldred had, had failed to, to coach them up there. Um, and the, the big thing that made me a believer is, is that they had so many guys reach the big leagues um, and they weren't guys that were promoted up out of double a uh, like a Vin Mazzaro or something that just didn't really belong, but you needed somebody to pitch. Um, th these were guys that had, had pitched well enough in, in the minors that it made sense to bring them up and see what they could do. And the other thing is that they uh, guys like Chris Bubich especially sticks out to me. He came up, he was very successful. Brad Keller also came up, was very successful and got worse as time went on instead of getting better, <laughs> which is usually what you'd expect as they adjust to the yeah. league. Um, which makes me think that Cal Eldred was like actively hurting their ability to pitch somehow. Um, so I'm, I, and David Lesky wrote basically about how the Royals do believe uh, that the, the pitching is really going to be able to turn around. They think they've, they've figured some stuff out by hiring Brian Sweeney and, uh, uh, and Quattraro and Bove, I think was the other yeah. name. I don't remember his first name. Bove, Zach Bove, Zach Bove. Uh, so they really think that they might have something that they might be able to, to turn things around with the pitchers they have, um, which makes sense to me because when I look at, at Daniel Lynch. And when I look at Chris Bubich, you know, sure, maybe they're not, they're never going to be uh, Zach Granke or, or Max Scherzer, but they seem like they should be better than they are. And he right. also quoted some other scouts that had talked about, you know, like, oh, if Chris Bubich was over here or Daniel Lynch was over here or Kowar was over here, then they would they, they would be good already, or mm -hmm. we could turn them around if we could trade for them. Um, so, you know, obviously other big league teams see the talent there. It's just that the Royals haven't been able to draw it out. And, and the Blesky's uh, excellent article, which I hope you all will read, uh, really just kind of drives home this idea that the Royals think they've figured out what they need to do, who they need to hire um, to, to actually get that talent to come out. Now, let me let me ask you this quick question, Jeremy. So do you in your opinion, do you think that the Royals front office was trying to give Eldred a chance to work with these pitchers and unlock them? Or if let's say coming out of the 2020 season, they recognize like, hey, these are some talented guys like and they're they're coming up. Do like, do you think Cal Eldred got a fair shot at, at getting the best out of them? I would have fired Cal Eldred at least by the end of 2021. I think it got more than a fair shot. 
Um, I the only thing I could think of because we I, I know I wasn't the only one who was sure that the Royals would have to fire him at the end of 2021 just because yeah. they had to send a message of like this needs to get better. Um, <laughs> and and uh, I made the argument, you know, there's only 30 major league pitching coach positions in the world, even if if you could argue that Cal Eldred was just, you know, average at his job, that's not good enough for one of the 30 highest positions of that type in the world you have to be the best yeah and so it makes sense to to it would have made sense to fire him uh after 2021 and and bring somebody else in at that point but the the only thing i could think of that makes sense is that he really got along with the general manager we used to have and that general manager was known for showing some excessive loyalty uh to players and to coaches uh i remember trey hillman he took a long Ooh. time to fire him and then cried about about it um you know like he he got very upset when he had to fire coaches and you know i'm not gonna sit here and throw throw rocks at him and be like oh you gotta fire these guys and be manly about it like i would probably be upset too like yeah. i don't want to fire anybody but it's got to get done it does it, it is what's best for business and that's you know we love baseball as a game but you're you're not gonna you're not going to win games by playing favors or playing favorites, however you want to put it. Um, <laughs> Greg, when we're looking at this young group of pitchers, um, what what's something that you're that you're watching for this season from them? I'm just wondering what sort of adjustments they're going to be able to make just based off of essentially not even a full off season, really just a partial off season with some new coaching staffs in place and then whatever they can get done kind of during the spring once camp breaks and pitchers catches report, which is going to happen here pretty soon because like looking at the data for a lot of these arms, it's just like, man, they got, they have a lot of work to do. Honestly, like they have their work cut out for them because just when I look at the metrics with Daniel Lynch, with Chris Bubich, even expanding it to like on hall Zerpa and all of them, it's like, I don't see much that looks good, honestly. Cause like they haven't been good command wise. Their stuff hasn't really been that good in general. Like Lynch has good fastball velo, but the shape of it makes it play worse than the velocity suggests. Beyond that, it's just like, man, it's like, I don't see like very good science here. So there is a lot of work to do. I think now one exception I do have is that I'm like pro- weirdly optimistic about Jonathan Heasley for no reason. Like he's been really bad in the majors. I have to get that out of the way, but it's just the fact that he's one of the only starting pitchers for the Royals that actually has good fastball shape that can actually get swings and misses in the zone. And he has good curveball spin too. The problem is the curveballs doesn't play very well, but he, he strikes me as just the things that he can already do. He might be just one or two small adjustments away from really being able to unlock something. So I'll be keeping an eye on him. But like to your point, you know, Bubich and Lynch, like they should not be this bad. Like they should yeah. not suck this much. Now, I was always high on Singer. I knew he'd get it together at some point because he just spent two seasons in the SEC with Florida absolutely dominating. And so I figured he was gonna get there at some point. But like with Lynch and Bubich, they have track record. I just wonder if like they might have already screwed them up to the point where they can't be fixed. I have to be concerned about that because like with Bubich, he finished 2019 in high A and then was in the big leagues in 2020. Like he had very little action in the upper minors even, and Lynch didn't really have a whole lot more either. So I, I have my concerns. I have my reservations. I don't think they're lost causes by any means, but that coaching staff has the work cut out for them. 
So the the one thing I want to address about that is is Brady Singer actually getting better and and the article I think it was in the Athletic uh, that talked about or no it was Fangraphs um, where they talked about what they did the changes that they made to to unlock that for him was that they he, he didn't have any control of his fastball and they what they realized and it was getting less spin and moving less than ever. And what they realized was that his grip had shifted and his arm slot had shifted. And so the, you know, if you just look at the numbers of it, well, the fastball was awful, but if they made that tweak to his delivery and the fastball is suddenly amazing and he's able to get all those backdoor strikeouts with it. Um, so it, it seems like, I don't want to say that that oh that'll that they could just do the same thing with Kawara and Lynch and and Bubich, but I feel like we could see we could see something like that where yeah it looks awful now but as it turns out there's this other thing that is easily fixable or at least reasonably fixable uh, that that we can't see from our perspective that they are now looking at the data to to work with. And one other really neat thing I like to look at with Brady Singer is if you compare the heat map for his slider between 2021 and 2022, 2021, it's a, it's a pretty big area. It seemed like he was having a tough time locating it. 2022 it is a tiny red dot on the glove side corner down. Like it's just, it was just precision with that slider in 2022. I think that's part of what made him so effective was just locating it so much better. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, th- uh, and that, uh, I think a lot of times they talk about that comes down to repeatability, which is hopefully another thing that um, the the coaches will be able to more easily identify now is, you know, like, oh, well, maybe you're not hitting your spots. Maybe nobody can throw strikes because none of you have repeatable deliveries. And we got to <laughs> fix that. Yeah. Do, for do sure. you think Chris Bubich will throw a slider this year? I, I, <laughs> I'm not going to put anything past anybody. The, the maybe the maybe they'll all start throwing cutters. See, on, on a Brady Singer's baseball savant page, it says that he threw 13 four-seam fastballs in 2022. Do you think those were actually four-seamers or yeah. the sinkers that didn't yeah. do anything? Yeah. Because most of them yeah. were never close to the zone. Yeah. Uh, the My favorite thing uh, looking at that website is is like looking at the pitches where I'm like, mm, I don't think that's what you said it was. Uh, I know that they had classified some pitches as change-ups where I'm like, I think he just didn't get everything on that fastball. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and you can definitely see that if you go look at Zach Greinke's baseball savant page, like it's like, mm, did he actually throw that pitch or uh, was it just a little bit of a wonky, wonky movement on there? But talk about different types of pitches. I mean, David, he did a great job identifying in this article that some of these Royals pitchers had some of the worst pitches in all of Major League Baseball. Just to name a few, he pointed out Bubik's or Bubich's fastball, excuse me. Lynch's slider, Kowar's fastball, and Keller's sinker. Like those are four different pitchers and three different pitches that were among the worst of all of them in Major League Baseball. And and Lynch's slider and and Keller's sinker were considered really good pitches at one yeah, point. Exactly. And funny which, enough, by uh run by run value, which was the stat that he mentioned. So Chris Bubich's four seamer was a plus twenty run value in twenty twenty two, which is awful. It was negative seven the year before. Like it was exactly. by far his best pitch. And like data wise in 2022, like in terms of velo and movement, it was a better pitch in 2022. So don't know how to square that, honestly. I'd, and you know what? 
maybe in like five years, we're going to view the 2022 like pitching performance as an outlier. And we're not going to know what happened. I'm, I'm hopeful that's the case, but we'll I'm not banked on it. Well, yes. Okay, Jeremy. <laughs> Jeez, over here, all firing you everyone. You know, in, in video games, there's this concept, and card games too. Actually, there's this concept of a, of an aura that just makes uh, you can put an aura on someone, and it just makes everyone around them worse or poisoned or whatever. That's yeah. Cal Eldred. He just had an aura of all pitchers around Cal Eldred suck. <laughs> I mean, we, we can't really disprove that at this point, unfortunately, Jeremy. So I think uh, I think when you make the trading card for Cal Eldred, I think that's what you have to put is uh, one of his abilities as please. Um, speaking of coaches, though, I do want to point out that someone else that David pointed out, and that's uh, Mitch Stetter. Now, he was he was one of the names that was brought up to the major league level. And I saw it and I was like, why the heck are we promoting someone who oversaw such a bad minor league pitching core? And he he pointed out the fact that Stetter's known for using the analytics. And he's also he's going to be a good bridge to some of these younger guys. And he's worked with all of them. So in a in a new coaching staff he is going to be the guy that kind of like, Oh, well, you know, we've worked on this in years past, or this has worked for him in years past. Da, 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 da. Like, I think he's going to be a good bridge, but uh, Jeremy, I do want to ask you who, who do you think is going to be the most improved in this young pitching staff? So my, my vote uh, is for Bubich always has been, I've been a big Bubich believer ever since he was first promoted. Um, there's, there's just something about his approach. I feel like he never gives up, uh, never surrenders, uh, for all you, uh, the, I forgot the name of the movie fans. I, I know I'm, I know the saying in my head, but I can't remember where it's from galaxy quest. Uh, yeah, never give up, never surrender. Oh, anyway, yeah. so he, I, I like that he really likes the analytics, and I feel like he probably clashed a lot with Cal Eldred over that. Um, and I just remember, you know, he came up, he was pretty good, and it seemed like he could get better. Uh, he got demoted in, I think it was 2021, and he came up in a long relief, and he was really good for a while, and then he got worse again. And I was like, mm, I think, you know, like maybe the AAA pitching coach needs to come up here and talk to these guys. Yeah. Um, I, because it just felt like when guys would go down, they would come up and be better and then get worse again. Mm -hmm. And, and the only thing that makes sense to me is the quality of coaching. But uh, I feel like Chris Bubich uh, has the best chance to, to really buy into whatever analytics the Royals start feeding him. Um, or, you know, maybe he's getting analytics that he wanted and he couldn't get them to give him before. I, yeah. I don't know exactly how all the scenarios play out there, but I, I firmly believe he's going to, he's not going to turn into again, like a Max Scherzer or a Clayton Kershaw, but I think he could become a very useful middle of the rotation pitcher. There you go. There you go. Greg, do, do you remember that report last year where the Royals were requiring like these minor leaguers to have a coach with them to watch film? Do you remember that? I heard that. Yeah, I think that was mentioned in that uh, that scathing athletic article that came mm. out about their issues in pitching development. Yeah, that's true. Like, could could you imagine doing that as a player? Like you have to have this guy in there with you when you just want to watch yourself and that try to get just better. That is a wild requirement. To I know, just, right? Like, tell these guys, these are all adults, right? And yeah. I'm like, no, no, you need this guy in here with you if you want to watch this film. Like, 
come on. Can you not just find it on the internet so yourself? They, they want to make sure that you're watching the pitching film and not some other kind of film. Didn't it oh. take didn't it take Cal Eldred like months to notice like a mechanical flaw in Brad Keller's delivery? Yes. Yes. Is that the guy that, you really want watching film with you? I don't know what's wrong. <laughs> Is it hey, really helpful to, to have him watch film with you? No, exactly. And you know what? Maybe this is just going to be a complete culture change on the pitching side. I'm really, really hopeful for that. Um, Greg, I know you mentioned Heasley earlier. Is there anyone else you're really watching out for to improve this year? It's it's tough just because it's, it's pretty I bleak. Yeah, just because as I mentioned, it's like I look for at least something to yeah. make me feel good. The only reason it was Heasley is because he has good fastball shape. That's basically it. But like with all those other guys, like I couldn't find anything at all. Like what almost illustrates that is like circling onto the zips projections again. Brady Singer is projected to be the best starter by ERA plus. After that is Zach Granke. Can you guess who are third and fourth? Lyles is third, I bet. And Yarbrough. Lyles and Yarbrough are way down there. Projected oh, for oh. third is Angel Zerpa. And oh, fourth yeah. is TJ Sikama. Now. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Sikama really Zips likes TJ Sikama as a starter this year more than either Boobich or Lich or he's wow. anybody else. Okay, that is a, that is a bold <laughs> take from the numbers. Yeah, Zips really likes the, the guy that uh, was left off learning about hot roster. Yeah, you know what? The they set the computers to watch like twenty four hours of undisputed with with Skip and Shannon, and uh, <laughs> and now that's all they know are hot takes. Yeah, I'll, I'll be I'll be looking, I think, more to the minors to see guys that can turn it around. Namely, I want to see if Coar can even be a big leaguer. Yeah, because the way that Jackson Coar is looking in the majors, it looks like he's just not ever going to cut it. But I don't know, like he had if you have at least one season carving at the SEC level, I'm always going to believe that you can do something. And he did that at Florida. And same with Ace Lacey, because dude was a force at Texas A&M. And like he's still punched out a ton of guys in the minors, but he hasn't really been healthy and he's had major control problems. And so if he's going into the season healthy with better coaching, then I see Asa Lacey as a potential candidate for a big time turnaround. Because remember when he was drafted in 2020, that wasn't like a bad pick. That wasn't no. Dayton more reaching. Like he was considered the best pitching prospect in that draft. Yeah. So I'm, th I'm hoping he can like come through on that pedigree at some point. He, he posted a workout video tonight, and honestly, it, the movement looked pretty good. Um, you know, granted, it's only like five or six pitches that, that he showed, so I'm not saying that he's going to be otherworldly this season, but he looked good. Um, pitches sounded good. So, I mean, there's a little bit of hope there with Lacey, but the bar is set pretty low for um, him in the, in the Royals' development pipeline. Uh, well, that is going to do it for our pitching recap review hopes i don't even i don't even know what to call that but we're gonna move on to some reviews um greg could you please start us off this week yeah incredibly enough i do not have a beer that i'm gonna review this week i know the listeners were all waiting for that but i have something else that's potentially even better and i'm going to be reviewing avatar the way of water which I mentioned on this podcast, I was going to try to watch my family in Maryland. I did not do that, but I did watch it in theaters two weekends ago. And then again, last weekend. So I've seen it in theaters twice now, basically the greatest theatrical experience I've ever had in my life. Like in terms of seeing a movie in the theater, it's been avatar, the way of water, number one, and then nothing else is even close. Like I saw Mav I saw Top Gun Maverick last summer in theaters, nowhere even close. So uh, Avatar, The Way of Water, saw it in 3D, obviously. I don't know how much longer it's in theaters, but would highly recommend it. It is probably the most 
visually impressive movie I've ever seen. I don't think anything else even really compares. I'm a little bit biased maybe because I, I really liked the first Avatar. I had high expectations going into it. And as far as I'm concerned, it exceeded the first Avatar movie in every way possible. So would highly recommend it. I think it's just, I think it's incredible. I don't care if like Jake Sully is nothing as a character. So I think that was kind of the, <laughs> I think that was kind of the point, honestly. So uh, yeah, Avatar, The Way of Water. Go, go check it out for real. They did transition pretty well from what I heard from him being the main character to like his one of his kids being the main it was, character. It was really more about his like teenage kids, which I think usually is a death sentence for a movie, but it actually worked yeah. out really well in this one. Okay. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. Well, hey, Jeremy, before you go, uh, my lovely wife, Katie, is going to join the podcast right now, and she has a review for us this week. Hello, Katie. Hi. Go well, for it, hon. So I, uh, I've got the early access edition for Hogwarts Legacy, which drops on Friday. Um, and guys, it's, it's dope as hell. Um, like graphics, you've got way more than like normal quests. There's a ton of dialogue written in. So you've got like a full plot line like you would find in a movie. And like it's next level. I've been following the development of this game since it was announced like four years ago because yeah. they've delayed twice now and it is everything you dreamed it would be and more so it's definitely worth the money um it's dropping friday go check it out and make sure you get yourself a copy well thank you very much katie appreciate that all righty jeremy on to you for your review this week all right, and for once, I'm going, and we've got the upset of no beer from Greg, and this week I'm going to give you something that's not Japanese. What? Uh, no way. Just bedlam around here. <laughs> I am going to recommend the movie uh, The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, which uh, probably slipped under a lot of people's radars, uh, but it did not slip under mine because it features one of my favorite actors, Nicholas Cage playing himself. <laughs> and uh, so what happens is uh, Nicholas Cage, it's a fictionalized version of Nicholas Cage, but it, it's still identifiably Nicholas Cage. <laughs> and uh, his, his career is on the down and outs, uh, which sure, yeah, whatever you say. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Pedro Pascal uh, plays this uh, this very wealthy uh, I believe it's a vineyard owner uh, in Spain, and he wants to pay a million dollars for uh, for for Nicolas Cage to go out to uh, visit him for his birthday. And uh, Nicolas Cage is like, I you know I need the money. I'm getting divorced, so he he goes out there, and uh, and and then uh, it turns out that uh, that the uh, the Pedro Pascal's character is is not just a, a a vineyard owner; he's also an arms dealer, what? and uh, the CIA is on to him, and and shenanigans ensue. Uh, so it's uh, it's a really funny movie if you're a Nicolas Cage fan at all. Uh, this is this is an excellent role for Nicolas Cage. Obviously, uh, he, he just nails it. Uh, Pedro Pascal is always terrific in everything he does. Um, it's, it's a very entertaining movie. Um, and the one thing I said, I was watching it with a friend, and the one thing I said before the movie started, I said, you know, if, and I don't know why there would be, but I feel like there's going to be, if there is, there are multiple Nicolas Cages in this movie, they need to like, 
They need, they need to, to you know, th- there needs to be an attraction there that has to happen. <laughs> uh, and, and, uh, they paid that off for me. Uh, so after that, the, everything was, was whatever happened was great. And the thing is, it's a goofy sounding movie, but they really did put a lot of heart and effort into, uh, writing the, uh, an interesting story. Uh, the actors are all giving it their all. Um, and there's some really beautiful cinematography, which is not a thing I really expected from this film, but they really, uh, went all out on, uh, on putting some care and effort into it. And, um, uh, the word we kept using as we were talking about it, me and my friend was authenticity. There's a lot of authenticity, uh, to the emotions and the shots and, and everything in that movie. So it's, it's a goofy one. It's very funny. Uh, it is definitely comedy. It's a parody satire, whatever, but, uh, it, there's a lot of authenticity to it and it's, it's a lot of fun. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you for the review, Jeremy. Now, now I definitely want to go, uh, go see that movie and Greg to your, to your review. I will see it once it comes out of theaters. I don't know if I have the patience to go and sit in the theater <laughs> and watch that movie, man. So power to you. It felt like not even three hours long, but that's just cause I was so engaged into it. It's very immersive. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, guys, well, let's go ahead and get out of here for this week. Jeremy, where can folks find you on social media? I it's, if Twitter's back up, you can find me yeah. at H O K I U S Hakaius. Uh and that's that's where I am. There you go. Sounds like a plan. Uh Greg, where can folks find you and your other podcast at? You can find me on social media at Greg Not Craig. That is Craig spelled C-R-E-G for no real reason at all. And you can also <laughs> listen to me talk about baseball over at Bat Flips and Infield Shifts, which you can find wherever you're listening to this. It's a pretty slow time of year for us, MLB-wise. We'll get it picked up here pretty soon. But in the meantime, we have been doing a lot on the upcoming college baseball season. So if you're looking for some uh, preview content for that, go check us out there. Heck yeah, sounds like a good plan to meet now greg have you all thought about a a name change with the uh, with the rules changes <laughs> yeah i understand it's kind of vintage now and yes it the, is. Thing is, oh, the thing is though okay. i don't know if division one baseball is necessarily banning oh. so it could still be somewhat relevant there but you know it's we're workshopping it right now we're considering it <laughs> um i'm i am told by my sources it's in the focus group phase right now so um if uh if you have an opinion on the new name for greg podcast please go ahead and tag him on twitter and let him know what it should be called but again my name is jake milham you can find me on twitter at jmildeham and please go check out all the work over at royalsreview.com and on twitter at royalsreview to all of you listeners who are still listening thank you so much for your support and until next time go royals <laughs>